Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want you to turn in your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 14. Mark's Gospel chapter 14. I want to read two portions of scripture today and I want to um, contrast them because they're very different. Neither of them are set on Easter day. One of the stories is just before Easter and the other story is set just a few days after Easter, a few weeks after Easter. Verse 66 of Mark 14 is the story of Peter denying the Lord on Good Friday, just as Jesus had predicted. And it says this, verse 66, While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely... You are one of them. You are a Galilean. They had particular accents. Verse 71. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And now I want you to go to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts and chapter 4. And picking up a reading in verse 12. This is um, something like 50 days later. And Peter has been arrested by the Sanhedrin, a group of people who had recently put Jesus to death. And this is what he says. we, We pick up the reading in verse 12, halfway through his speech, but we'll get the gist. Peter speaks to them. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they saw that when these leaders, these rather dangerous leaders at this time, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard after further threats they let them go 
I want to uh, talk to you this morning. Uh, the title is The R Factor or the, the Resurrection Factor. I want to ask a question pertaining to these two passages that we just read or you just read on your own at home. They seem to be passages about two entirely different people. And we know they're not. We know that in both passages, the character in frame is the disciple Peter. In the first passage, a servant girl, so a young girl, I mean a servant is no threat to Peter, a girl even less so, especially 2,000 years ago. Not sure I'd feel completely safe if a girl came up to me in the middle of the night now, but 2,000 years ago is pretty safe. And uh, who says to him, weren't you one of them? And he denies it and curses himself, curses her, denies the Lord uh, Jesus. Very well-known story. And yet, 50 days or so later, 53, 54 days later, the exact same man, Peter, is now under arrest and uh, by, the, by the Sanhedrin. And these people had just recently had Jesus crucified and killed. So if you'll forgive the phrase, these guys have got teeth. They are dangerous. They're much more dangerous than the little girl by the fire 50 days back. And yet, this same character stands up to them and they say, we command you, don't speak anymore in his name. And instead of going, yes, all right, well, we'll pray about it or we'll think about it, he basically says, no, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. Now, let me ask you this. If you were writing the script of the Bible, wouldn't this seem to you to be an error you would say, do you know what? This script isn't right. Because the Peter in Acts chapter 4 is completely different to the Peter in Mark chapter 14. It's like it's a different character. Go back and write it again. It's wrong. It's an error. But of course we know it isn't an error. And that this man was the same man. I put it on the screen his transformation is one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of the Bible. And I want to ask the question here on Easter morning, here at King's Church, how is this possible that he went from cowardly wimp to courageous witness? Did you see what I did there? How did he go from courageous, sorry, from cowardly wimp to courageous witness. And I wanted to spend a few minutes this morning asking that question because maybe the same thing that happened to him can happen to me. Maybe the same thing that happened to him can happen to you if God would be so gracious as to move in such a way. Let's take a moment to think about this. Many people would say the reason why Peter was so 
amazingly transformed or changed was because on the day of Pentecost, he was wonderfully filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say absolutely, amen to that. He absolutely was completely filled and transformed by the Holy Spirit. But I want to draw your attention to another part of the story that perhaps is not so obvious to see. Because we have to admit that many of us in this room have had experiences with the Holy Spirit. Many of us in this room have received what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The ability to be filled with God, to speak in other tongues. Now many of us in this room would say we've had experiences of God. But not too many of us, it seems to me, have been so transformed as to go from wimp to witness, from, from cowardly to courageous in such dramatic terms. Many of us know what it is to praise God in the spirit in a prayer meeting, but we close our mouths at work. Am I sort of telling the truth? Uh, many of us know what it is to shout for joy in a, in a, in a church meeting, but we're a little more conservative, a bit more reserved in the presence of people who might think that we're doolally or a religious nut or something like that. So what was it? What was it that transformed Peter? Yes, yes, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yes, but I want to draw your attention to something else. Acts 1 of verse 3 says this. After his suffering, this is Jesus, he presented himself to them. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What happened between Peter warming himself by a fire, becoming a coward and not wanting to stand up for the faith? And him boldly standing before the Sanhedrin. Yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But listen as well. He spent 40 days with the risen Jesus. 40 days. And the risen Jesus spoke to him. Acts 1 verse 3 about the kingdom of God. And the risen Jesus, over 40 days, showed him many, in the King James Version, it says infallible proofs or convincing proofs that he was alive. And I want to suggest to us this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ it's not just a historical truth. It should be an ever-present truth. As Peter stood by that fire, of course he'd spent all that time with Jesus. He knew all the stories. He was there. But it wasn't enough. Believing in the historical Jesus wasn't quite enough. It was good, but it wasn't quite enough. 
to transform that fisherman? What was enough to transform him? And what will be enough to transform you? Will be the presence of the resurrected Jesus in your life. Not just a book. Not just a book of stories. Inspirational, true, inspired and glorious. Though they all are. But 40 days. 40 days. In the presence of Jesus Christ. Transformed that fisherman. Bringing up this other text in Acts uh, 4 and verse 13. When they saw, this is the Sanhedrin now. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. And realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. But listen, listen, watch this. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now I want to just throw a curveball out here this morning. To ask this burning question. What does that exactly mean? Surely they already knew that these people had been with Jesus. They were the disciples of Jesus. What's news about that? Why did they take note that these men had been with Jesus? They knew they'd been with Jesus. That's why they arrested them. And then suddenly it occurred to me just reading it. Maybe there's more to this line than I ever thought before. Which Jesus had they been with? Which was the Jesus that they took note that these men had been with? I suggest to you today, it's possible that what they meant by that was that these men had been with the risen Jesus. They already knew they were disciples of Jesus. Why would it be interesting to them to take note they'd been with Jesus except that their unschooled, ordinary lives had been transformed by the fact that they had been with the risen Jesus. So what's going to transform me? What's going to transform you? Being with the risen Jesus is going to transform you. Being with the risen Jesus is going to transform me. They said we cannot help, Acts 4 and verse 20. Speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. We have to know that Jesus is alive. Not know it because we read it in a book, but because we met him for ourselves. And we need to know that Jesus is alive, not just because we are one time Met him for ourselves. But because we continue to meet him. For ourselves. What will it be that will make you different tomorrow? Or at work later today? What will it be? That will make people stand a little bit. Looking at you a bit strange. What will it be that will single you out? In a family setting. Or in a work setting this week. The fact that you attended a church meeting won't do it. 
We won't do it for me. He won't do it for you. But that you had been with the risen Jesus. People would take note. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Peter was transformed. Not just by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Vital though that is. But by having 40 days. In the presence. Of the risen Jesus. Let me just bring these up. Just three areas. Where we must know. That Jesus. Is alive. The first place that we must know it. Is of course in the church. What makes this. Meeting different to any other. We said it many many times. What makes this setting different? Why is this building different? Why is this context different here today? What's the difference between a preacher standing in front of rows of people and a comedian or a politician or a motivational speaker or someone trying to sell you the latest Hoover? What's different about this? What's different about a Christian meeting? And there should be one major central difference that it be a supernatural gathering that standing in the midst of that group of people is the Lord himself that the presence of Christ as it says here in Matthew uh, it's Matthew 18 and verse um, 20 stands in the midst of his people Jesus said, wherever two or three will gather together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. If Jesus isn't in our midst, then let's go to church somewhere else. If Jesus isn't in the midst of our Bible study, then let's not do it. If Jesus is not standing in the midst of our time of prayer, then let's not have it. It's Jesus in the midst or in the middle. That makes the difference. That turns something ordinary into something extraordinary. I know today that in churches there is a huge emphasis on excellence. There's a huge emphasis on that everything should look beautiful. That it should be the best seats, warm room, best musicians, fancy lights. And I'm not really against any of that. But there are times when... As a traveling preacher, I'll go to a church where the best seats, they sure were the best seats in 1941, but they're not anymore. The lighting flickers on and off, and the music begins with all things bright and beautiful, and ends with kumbaya. But somehow, none of it matters when the presence of Christ begins to make himself known in that place. Suddenly it's not whether it's beautiful or warm or whether the musicians can play the right notes or not. It's the presence of God that's what it's all about. I remember one time, and I I need to be careful what I say, but I remember one time a few years ago, Jane and I were traveling and we had two different meetings. I believe one was one night and the other was a couple of nights later. And one was in a really famous church, or reasonably famous church. And I'm so excited about going there. I'm going to speak at this really well-known church. And I went there and we, you know, we had a good time. 
And at the end of the service, I came down and laid hands upon the people. And it was astonishing. There were no miracles to be seen at all. I scratched my head in the, you know, in the, in the car going home. What a night. A night of boldly declaring Jesus. And yet when it came to laying hands upon people, there just were no miracles. No one recovered in front of us at all. In fact, the greatest miracle of all was right at the end. The pastor said to me, I want you to pray for me. I want what you've got. I thought, you're joking, aren't you? You want what I've got? We saw nothing. Why would you want what I've got? And two nights later, we were in another place, not so far away. And as we walked in, the wallpaper was coming off the wall and the, the place wasn't so great and there was no music team. They put a, I'm going to say they put a CD on, but it might have been an LP, everyone. I don't know. But in that place, there was a breakout of the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a handful of people. We are not in the book of Numbers. We are in the book of Acts. And there was an incredible breakout of God's power in that place. And as I drove home, it was as though the Lord wanted to remind me. All that really matters is that the Lord is in the place. Everything else is a bonus. Can you say amen? amen. Everything else is a bonus. Because the danger is, friends, and you know this very well, we are quite capable of doing church without him. We're quite capable of paying the bills. We're quite capable of turning the lights on and playing the tunes. We don't need him to run church. But if we want to have a proper church, if we want to have a kingdom church, if we want to have a New Testament church, then we need the kind of Jesus who steps out of the tomb on Easter and steps into the church on the day of Pentecost. I've told this story so many times, you could tell it better than me. But there was a church where there was a lady who at 10 to 11, each Sunday morning stood up and made a strange noise. And different pastors and preachers got up and interpreted. The Lord says, yea, thou shalt go whither and hither and thou shalt be blessed. Then the next week we come by and 10 to 11, 5 to 11, guy gets up to give the notices. Suddenly the lady stands up, hat, fruit, you know, all that. The poor fellow, no, don't have to interpret it. The Lord's going to bless you. Just before Christmas, you know, they're just about to do Silent Night. She stands up. Yes, the Lord says, have a happy Christmas, everyone, and whatever else. They were just struggling. They just didn't know what to do with this lady. And as soon as she began, everyone, oh, no, here she goes again. What's her name? I don't know her name, but we know her as Mrs. Dingling. Then one day, a young man from another nation was in the meeting. And as she got up and began to speak that, he was frozen in his chair. And afterwards he said, could he speak? And he was given the platform. There was no microphone in that little place. And he just came to the front and he said, where I come from, 
we have an ancient declaration that whenever the chief of the village, the royal or the king, I guess they wouldn't call it the king exactly, is about to come into the village, they would go ahead of that person and they would make this declaration, the chief or the king is here. And they would make this declaration just as he arrived. And by the Spirit, every Sunday, that little old lady that no one really believed in was declaring, the king is here. The king is here. This is not king's church if the king isn't here. Oh God, we want your presence. There's a lovely verse Exodus chapter 28, 33 to 35, talks about the high priest. And you will perhaps be aware that when the high priest would go in beyond the, the veil, beyond the curtain, that great thick curtain, the thickness of a span of a hand, he would go in and there was a possibility a possibility that he would be struck dead in the presence of God because his offering was not accepted. As far as we know, historically, it never happened. But there was a possibility, and according to tradition, I don't think it's in the Bible, but according to tradition, they tied a rope to his leg. And as he would go in beyond this curtain, should he be struck dead? It meant they could pull him out with the rope. you imagine being the priest? It's lovely to have you here. What are you doing to my leg? Oh, it's just, we just, it's just a bit of decoration. Now, what's this for? Just in case you die, we'll pull it out. I think I might be looking for some other ministry role. But as he's inside the most holy place, Exodus 28 says this, that around his robe, were bells and fruit as well, pomegranate. And as he would walk, of course, they would tinkle and ring. As he walked around inside the most holy place, invisible to them, they knew he was alive because they heard the sound of the bells on, on his garment. If they didn't hear the bells... They couldn't be sure that the high priest was alive. But for as long as they could hear the bells, they knew that he was alive, even though they couldn't see him. I want to suggest to you today that God has given us his Holy Spirit. And as we meet together in a place like this, as we gather close to the presence of God, the gifts of the Spirit are like the bells of the high priest's garment. Can you say amen? Ringing. We cannot see him. But we know he is alive. For we hear the sound of his moving beyond our natural vision. Whenever you see someone be cured of some impossible situation, the high priest's bells are ringing. Whenever you hear the word of God prophetically being brought into someone's life. The bells of the high priests are ringing beyond the heavenly veil. 
to assure us he is still very much alive. So we need to know that he's alive in the church. We need to know that his presence is here as we meet together. And I encourage you, don't ever leave a meeting. In fact, don't even purpose to come to a meeting without having it singularly in your mind. I'm not coming to meet today with Bob or John or Peter or Jack. I'm going to go and meet with the Lord. The second place where we need to know he's alive is during a storm. When things are going wrong, you need to know that he is alive. In Job, this very famous verse in chapter 19 and verse 25, Job in the midst of his terrible suffering says this, I know that my Redeemer is alive. I know that my Redeemer is alive. And Job was a man who had many questions. We've, many of us have just read through the book, the early part of this year. Job was a man just like you. With many, many questions. He put his faith in God, but his circumstances were dreadful. He put his hope in the promise and the word of the Lord. But he didn't see it manifest at that time in the season of his life. He was a man just like you. Just like me. And in the answer of it all, as his friends come with their so-called wisdom, their so-called knowledge, their so-called experience, all they did was confuse him even further. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you've been in the midst of great confusion. So you said to someone, why don't you come over and talk to me? And by the time they left, you were more confused than before they came. And one person gives you this advice. Another person gives you that advice. That's where Job was at. But that's why I love this verse. 19 and verse 25. Where he says, there's lots of things I don't know. There are all manner of things I haven't got a clue about. And I am confused. And I do want to have a serious word with God. But this one thing I know. I know that my Redeemer is alive. He's not dead. He's still on the throne. He hasn't disappeared. He hasn't gone to another nation. He's not left me. He's alive. I don't know what he's doing, but he is alive. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why I'm in this dark tunnel, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And sometimes answers aren't enough. Answers just don't do it. Sometimes all we need to know is that there is Jesus. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen ahead of us. Sometimes all we need to know is that he's with us. Sometimes I've jumped in a car with someone who's driving someplace. And every now and then, Jane will have a laugh and remember me saying this every now and then. We'll be driving along and I'll say, do you know what? I haven't got a clue where we are. It's such a funny thing. I say it all the time. I haven't got a clue where we are. And what's so funny is that I'm not even driving. I don't need to know where we are. I just need to know that the driver knows where we are. I want to encourage you today. Sometimes we don't know where we are. But what we do need to know 
is that the driver knows where we are. Sometimes we haven't got the answers. You're not going to get insight into the future. There's so many Christians who believe the answer to their problems will be to know what's coming up. Believe me, you don't want to know what's coming up. And God isn't going to tell you what's coming up. I love that verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yes, God knows them. He ain't going to tell me. He's not going to tell you. As long as he knows the plans, then I'm happy with that. I don't need to know the plans. I just need to know that he knows the plans. During a storm. During a storm. We need to know that he is alive. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Oh, what a glorious thing it would be to live just like that. My help doesn't come from my dad. My help doesn't come from my boss. My help doesn't come from the neighbor. My help doesn't come from the government. My help comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. And finally, the third place, and we could do hundreds of these, but just for now, number three. We need to know Jesus is alive in the church. We need to know he's alive during a time of difficulty in the storm. And we need to know that he is alive on the mission. I love what it says in Acts 1 verse 3. He spent 40 days with them. And he showed them infallible proofs or many convincing proofs. The more modern translations put it. Convincing proofs that he was alive. Can you just think about that? Many times, over 40 days, it wasn't just a one-off. He presented to them Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He didn't want them just to take the word of Mary Magdalene. Or the women who saw him at the tomb. Or Peter. Or some that were there at Galilee and saw him. He wanted to absolutely convince them. That he was alive. And he says this to them. You will be my witnesses. In Luke 24. That in Acts 1. He says you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you will be witnesses. Unto me. I want to ask you this. What actually is a witness? If we were to go to court. And you were to. Be invited to attend court as, as a witness. What would it be that you'd be required to do? What do you have to do as a witness? You have to tell your story. Sure, you have to 
say what you saw or say what you heard or say your experience. You're not supposed to be a lawyer. You're a witness. And I think some Christians pull back from evangelism because they actually falsely believe that they're supposed to be a lawyer. And some are lawyers. Some are called to be evangelists. But there are lawyers and there are witnesses. And we are all called to be witnesses. Not all necessarily are called to be lawyers, i.e. evangelists. But we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. Can you say amen? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And so some people say, well, I, I'd love to share my faith, but I don't really know every, all the answers to all the questions. You're not supposed to know all the answers to all the questions. You're just supposed to be the witness. I don't understand everything, but this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. That's what a witness is supposed to do. Like the man in John 9, whose eyes opened. And they say to him, tell us who this Jesus is. He says, uh, he's a... He's a He's a sinner, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I can see. So witnesses are supposed to produce proof. They are proof producers. And God is calling you to be his witness. Witnesses of the resurrection. And that's why Jesus must be alive in you. Because if he's not alive in you, then you can't really give him to someone else. If he's not alive in you, if you haven't seen him, in inverted commas, then what can you witness about? Listen, your experience with God must be fresh. It must be fresh. And my experience must be fresh. There's nothing more obvious than an old story and a stale testimony. That's been told so many times, it's now got legs. You need a fresh experience with God. You need a fresh touch of God. Not to make you addicted to experiences. That's not what we're about at all. But you know, you have to know God for yourself. You have to have met the risen Jesus today. Not just attended a church meeting that spoke about it. Or put a picture on the wall. We must know the risen Jesus for ourselves. That's what we're supposed to witness. And this is the kind of church we must press in to build. That these Sunday meetings and the meetings in the week are so extraordinary. That you find yourself going to work later today or tomorrow or Tuesday. And before everyone else in the staff room can tell you what they did over the weekend, you're first in. Never mind this. What did you do on Sunday? Well, you know, I went to church. No, I, I had an amazing time in the presence of God. I saw a deaf lady. Her ears opened up right in front of me. I saw a young man, a drug addict, weep his way to the front of the building and throw down 
everything that was addicting him. I saw an older man be reconciled to his son in the presence of God. And I saw some teenagers get right with God and become born again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Oh, by the way, what did you do over the weekend? Come on. Come on. It's what we need to build. And we're not there yet. But we can get hungry today. We can get hungry today. Not every meeting is supposed to be the building shaking. I don't believe that. It's not supposed to be like that every time. It's not supposed to be uh, unbelievable every time. Sometimes Jesus just sat and taught people, yes? But oh, how we need God. How we need a fresh, fresh, fresh experience of you. If not for us, for them. If not for you, then for the people you love and meet tomorrow. So you've got a fresh story. So you've got a fresh experience. And don't mishear me. We value the word of God. And we value the narrative and the stories in the word of God. We believe they are true. I don't just believe in Genesis to Revelation. I believe in the maps. But it's the word and the spirit. These people weren't witnessing to a dogma. They weren't witnessing to a message. They were witnessing to something they had seen and heard. Peter says to the Sanhedrin, we read it earlier in Acts 4, we have to keep speaking about the things we have seen and heard. So that means that I have to see and hear things. And you have to see and hear things. Do you understand? We have to see And hear things fresh. It's funny. Hearing a bit of Polish. Earlier on, I remember when we were in Poland, Merrick, and we went to a home. And in that home, I was uh, asked to pray for a man who had epilepsy. He's 40 years old. Went into that home and um, prayed for him. And I've no idea if God healed him or not. You can't tell with epilepsy, of course. And I was a bit dissatisfied because I felt that there hadn't been enough proof produced in that room. We are proof producers. And Jesus wants to show that he is alive by many infallible proofs. So I looked around the room in hope. I said, is anyone here ill or unwell? I wonder show you the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's ever such a funny thing to hope that people are ill, but you'll forgive me. And hallelujah, the lady, the mother, had a problem in her knees or legs, I forget. And she said, well, I've got this problem here. And I didn't touch her, I just looked at her and I said, and I said many times this story, I don't know if it's because I was mightily bold Or it was because I knew the next day I was leaving the country and they'd never see me again. But I just looked at her and I just said, I release you from the problem. The power of God hit that lady and she began dancing around the room, set free. She grabbed her husband for a dance and he didn't feel like it much. And then 
danced her way over to the cupboard and pulled out a whole load of money to pay me for the cure. I didn't take it, of course. But in that little room, it just felt something right out of the book of Acts. Proof had been produced that Jesus was alive. He is a proof producer. And if we will believe God, that these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. Then he will produce more proof that he is alive. Infallible proof that he is alive. So what was it that changed that fisherman from that scaredy cat, cowardly wimp, hiding behind a fire from a little girl? What was it that changed him into a courageous witness, standing up, defying even the police, as it were, of the day? The baptism in the Spirit, yes. But the presence of the risen Jesus in his life. And I believe that same presence can change me. And you. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.